Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. I am your host, Josh Rosenberg. I'm so psyched to be here for this first week and opening week of season three with episode 102 featuring Talia Alitzer. I'm so happy to have her here. And if you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, welcome to the Roadcase community. If you're a returning listener, thank you for so much for your support. Uh, this podcast lives with the support of you Listeners, I'm so glad that you're here. A great way to help support Roadcase is to follow us on the socials. We're at Roadcase Pod. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, where you can find out more information um, about the show, what the guests are, prior guests, uh, and uh, and check out some uh, other episodes. And follow us as well. That really helps us support uh, Roadcase. Another great way to help support Roadcase is to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite streaming platform. If you're on Spotify, just hit follow. If you're on Apple Podcasts, the little check mark in the upper right-hand corner uh, lets you subscribe to this podcast, and you'll see you'll find out when the the most recent episodes come out. So you're really on top of everything. Also, if you'd like to get involved uh, with questions, comments, uh, let's start a dialogue. Uh, Email me at info at roadcasepod.com. Would love to hear from you. Let me know what's up. Uh, I appreciate all of you for listening and for being part of the Roadcase community. You can also uh, visit our website, www.roadcasepod.com. We have some more information about yours truly, the host, uh, about the show, where you can and listen, etc. And uh, it's just a great place to uh, to find out more information about Roadcase. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, really glad to have Talia Alitzer here. Talia is the co-founder of God Mode, a Grammy-nominated artist development company uh, whose label and management clients include Channel Trace and JPEG Mafia, among others. Prior to God Mode, Talia was at William Morris, where she started out in the mailroom, which is an incredible story. She moved on to uh, be a senior A&R person at Capitol Records in Los Angeles, where she managed artists such as Katy Perry, Sam Smith, and Beck. Uh, she had been sort of developing God Mode at that point, and then she broke off, uh, became the independent, well, became the co-founder of God Mode, and uh, where Talia kind of takes an un orthodox approach to artist development and marketing, uh, where she sort of helps break artists and move them along, uh, artists that kind of don't fit into pre-existing formats, uh, and gives them touring advice. Uh, they look at brand management, merchandising, and she also works on joint ventures with Universal, Warner, and Sony. Uh, Talia is an extraordinarily talented person with a really interesting background. I mean, she started out in the mailroom at William Morris, and now she is the head of a artist management company. Uh, really happy to have her here. I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation that I had with her. Thanks again for being here and for supporting Roadcase. And I want to send a special thank you to Talia Litzer for being here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go.
Okay. Hey, Talia, thanks for joining me on Roadcase. Really happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, and where are you located? You're in L.A.? I'm in L.A. and it's raining today. So it's a, you know, it's the full apocalypse here. All my meetings canceled. And, oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's, just, uh, it's a major disaster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Wait, are, you, are you actually joking? Like, it's like uh, people are always panic when it rains in L.A., but or is it like some torrential? Is, it, is, is there any justification for all that? panic oh no it's just oh, okay. just normal raining i don't so. want to make fun of it if it's like something actually <laughs> serious but i know i grew up in no no i grew up in la and it's like yeah oh my god i because i've already heard from like three people it was raining like yesterday and a couple days ago in san diego it's like oh my god the sky's literally falling it's raining in southern california exactly well it's exactly. good though it's good i mean you know we need it drought issues and being in a desert and everything of course um yes but yes, uh exactly. where'd you start out your career are you from la originally i'm from upstate new york originally okay. um and i uh when i graduated school moved to new york uh-huh um and started in the wme actually at the time it was the william morris agency mailroom yeah wow that's uh, classic pre-merger yeah, exactly. Is that classic exactly. or is that just something that people have made? Like, why is that such a thing? It honestly was. It was, it, it, you know, they say it's like the grad school for the entertainment business. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I literally pushed a mail cart there Yeah. Uh, when I was 22 years old. And, uh, you know, it was very competitive. Everyone would kind of like elbow each other for certain mail carts and hallways and uh, and all of that. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, but I was very lucky and it was only in the actual mailroom for a couple of weeks. So, oh, wow. Uh, that's a, that's a fast transition, but let's to... talk about, let's talk about those couple of weeks though. What do you mean by elbowing? Like what's, what was the strategy down there in the mailroom and what was like the most nefarious tactic tactic that you had encountered <laughs> either that you had propagated well, I... or that someone had done to you or that you just <laughs> saw? <laughs> well, to me, it was kind of, it was more of like a culture shock to the degree that like I, I was a kid who didn't, my parents did not work in entertainment and I uh, had really had no co personal connections to anyone who worked in entertainment. I barely even knew what an agent did. Oh. And, uh, you know, I was in the mailroom with other 22 year olds whose dad was some important executive at, you know, Atlantic, some dad, important executive at Disney, some dad owns the agents, one of the partners of the agency and, uh, so that it was more of shock about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I remember one of the, uh, part of, I don't know why they, uh, this was something that was tasked to us, mm -hmm. but we had to sometimes drive the agent's cars to be in certain places that were ready for them. Uh, and I remember one of, one of my fellow mailroom, uh, I don't know what you call one of my one of my former mailroom uh, colleague? colleagues colleague yeah yes. is there a different uh, word for mailroom colleague i don't know <laughs> yeah maybe maybe <laughs> asshole i don't um, know <laughs> exactly he he was like oh i can't believe such and such agent only has a you know this type of bmw oh, like yeah. oh like that's so that's that's oh how terrible <laughs> and i was just so wide-eyed at the time right uh, about all of that but uh but it was good well, it sounds like you were a little more grounded than these other guys, but so how did you end up there if you didn't really have like a background in, in this? Like, what was that? Oh, I'm going to go work for William Morris. 
I mean, as soon I had I had a variety of internships in the industry when I was in school, and um, I as soon as I knew that that was a career one could have, that's what I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. Oh, right on. And um, but yeah, and then I and I literally I I this is if I could give any message to the world, it's that I spam I did every possible thing I could to get my resume in the hands of those people. Yeah, and like I emailed it, I snail mailed it i faxed it i uh you know did everything and i probably sent my resume 20 times uh and eventually it somehow got to someone and uh i I was lucky i guess in that sense but i also worked very hard to do it so it is possible so it was more where'd you go to school by the way I went to Brandeis uh, just outside of Boston. Uh, uh-huh. Nice. Um, so it was more about someone just reading the resume and kind of liking you or something and, and just having you in and taking a shot. I mean, at the time it was, a, it, the process is very different now. At the time you had to take, they, I had a good resume. I had the, you know, good internships mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. Um, but at the time you had to pass a writing test, a spelling test, a grammar test, and like a typing test. Uh-huh. And the final, uh, the final test was that you had to speak in front of a panel of 20 agents or something, and they would interview you as well. Uh, and so that was the final thing. And so you had to pass all wow, those Wow, what was that like? You could be <laughs> I mean, I was probably at the time 21 years old, oh you know, God. or something. Oh my God, I'm getting nervous. I just... was terrified. Oh my God, yeah. what did they add? What did they, that was like a hyper grilling? I don't even know. I like, pro- I like kind of blacked out. So, <laughs> Retrograde amnesia. Uh, like when you're in some kind of yeah. traumatic accident or something. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah oh my exactly. God. I remember two people. I remember there was one older man in that room who he's, he's was a wonderful agent. He's since passed away, but he was like an OG theater agent mm-hmm. that was there. And he was the only, I remember him looking at me with kind eyes and everyone else. I just was, you know, frozen by, uh-huh. And he was like, why are you keep only looking at me? Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like someone here is a, is a human person. Oh, my God. Wow. Well, you made it, though. I, I did it. I did it. Yeah. And so you lasted two weeks. Why? Why Was that a good thing? Or <laughs> I, I guess that was a good thing, right? It, no, it was a good yeah. thing. I, there, there happened to be the, the it's, this is all different now, I think. But uh you, I, after you're in the mailroom, when an opening in the music department happens, there's like a music floater pool mm. and it was called Music Central. So there happened to be an opening in Music Central. So I was able to go take that opening. And then really just a month or two later, my future boss's desk opened up uh, and I was able to, I haven't talked about this in a long time. Um, cool. I was cool. able to, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I interviewed for that and then got that uh, assistant position. Oh, interesting. Wow. And how long, like what span of time were we talking about before you were like sitting at an assistant's desk? I was very, I was not the norm and I, I don't even take, this was not my skill. I don't think it was just, I, the timing worked out well, but uh, I was probably on a desk within four months of starting there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You, you, you have, you have, um, tempered this or tamped this down with like several disclaimers so far. This is not how it (laughs) usually works, people. I think it's all ever since the merger and I think they've changed it all many times over. So it's, uh, it's, it's different. Well, you mean that like it couldn't work that way now for some reason? I think now you have to get, I think you're hired and then later you have to get 
uh, accepted into like the trainee program. Ah, okay. It's called. So, but yeah, I think it's the setup is different. So now, now at like a WME, is there a, a mailroom start out culture still or not? Because of it's changed there, so I much think that there it's is. different? I, I think that there is. I don't know the details of it anymore, but I, be, I still believe there is. Uh, okay. So how many years were you there? I was there probably two or three years. Um, I worked for uh, a woman named Sam Kirby, who's like a really big music agent. And she was like really, really tough and like kind of like Devil Wears Prada style. And I can say this because she's now, Uh-oh. she just spoke at my wedding. We're very, very close uh, now. Okay. Which either says, which either says something about, uh, me or having Stockholm syndrome or her, I don't know, but it's, uh, <laughs> which one do you think? It's, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> she was but, like, Oh, you're uh, getting married. I'm going to speak at your wedding, right? I'm speaking. Yes, <laughs> the Jedi, but, um, sort of the Jedi fear mind meld. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But no, she, uh, she was really, really tough. And, um, she has, she works with people anywhere from like LCD sound system to Alicia keys mm-hmm. to, Swedish house mafia to, uh, MIA TV on the radio, whatever. But, um, so I really, I was very lucky that her, her roster was very much in line with my taste Mm -hmm. and, um, she was awesome. And I learned everything, but the whole basis for what I know from her, um, even though, you know, she, we, we definitely, uh, yelled at each other a lot. So, oh, okay. Um, that's good. That's a healthy, (laughs) that's a healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, but you learned a lot from her and, um, you were, uh, dealing with, would that be closest to kind of what you're doing now or, um, because then you moved apparently to, um, A&R at Capitol Records in LA. I did. Yeah. I've done a bunch of stuff. <clears throat> I, I, I moved out to LA a few years later to do A&R for Capitol. Mm-hmm. And what I'm doing now is honestly, uh, you know, having worked at all these big companies, I really felt like no one actually gave a shit about the music or about artist development or about the artists themselves. Mm. And that's just the nature of a lot of these bigger, you know, publicly traded companies. It's a different business model. Um, and for me, I wanted to do, I, I, that was the stuff, that was the reason why I got into this. That's the fun part. And, uh, so I started a, my own company that's a management company label and uh we just started a publishing company as well yeah god mode you can say the name but i did yes god mode um (laughs) and uh but yeah i did get my start and have a very because i worked at the agency i did you know have a very strong start in the touring business which obviously i'm very involved with now as a manager yeah yeah well let's talk about touring but um definitely want to go in that direction uh at some point I'm interested though, because you mentioned, and I've read a little bit about um, a little bit more about your background. And you were talking about how some of these firms are built like venture cap firms, where they're just throwing money at acts, and if they stick, they mm-hmm. stick, and if they don't, they don't. And uh, the ones that don't just kind of fall off, but the successes sort of just continue to fund that churn. Is that mm-hmm. is there is that a reflection? Um, can can I, give me a little bit of context because in terms of what you're seeing and what your feelings are towards that type of churn. I mean, you talked also, you just mentioned about some people are in the business for the wrong reasons and some, you know, that you love the music and some people weren't really in it for music or weren't, didn't really like the artists. Can you kind of, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily the wrong reasons, but for me, that wasn't, you know, uh, that's not why I'm working in music. You know, I think some people, some people enjoy that stuff, but for me, that wasn't, that wasn't it. I think, you know, a lot of these big companies, you know, since the power has kind of changed from, or has moved from the record labels to artists, mm-hmm. a lot of some of the, a lot of stuff that isn't really talked about as much that has sort of been left by the wayside is that artists have lost so much of that support and so much of that infrastructure. Uh, your record label, you know, if you're especially saying, I'm talking about major labels used to be really the hub for every part of your career. And now they're kind of seen more like a bank or uh, sort of just, you know, someone that's going to get you on good playlists or something. And, uh, but for, for me, the, we, the reason that we started the company was because artists, record labels are major labels are really good at getting something from 60 to a hundred, but they have no idea. And they outwardly say that they have no idea how to get something from zero to 60. And that's something that we do exceptionally well. And once something gets to 60, then we, you know, we do have partnerships with, with some of the major record companies, but, um, but that's really what we do because artists need creative support. They need, uh, you know, business strategy, they need everything on every level. And it's really fallen on the manager to, to yeah. provide all those kind of like what direction am I going in? Because I'm not even sort of don't even know what direction I'm going in yet. Right. It's like they, they need to get started, well, that, and, but that yeah, push in that, that in that or, initial direction. Totally. Or that, or, you know, artists are expected to be their own, you know, they're supposed to have the creative vision. They're supposed to also be really good at putting content on Instagram. They're supposed mm-hmm. to be really good at networking. And there's just no way an artist can do all those things on their own. And, yeah. uh, and, and we, we are, we're also people that can help build that with them. Right. Right. Um, and is that kind of a, um, so you, you're talking about not you're now in the business of taking people from zero to 60 and not necessarily managing them uh, or not necessarily as concerned about the picking somebody up when they've already kind of created a direction for themselves. Is that right? No, I mean, we, we are, we do all types of things. Like we just started working with an artist or not just a couple of years ago, we started working with an artist named JPEG mafia who mm-hmm. has a really big touring business and a, a very large cult fan base. Yeah. He's great. Um, but we just, we just, uh, you know, we didn't start with from zero with him, but we really just kind of take that extra care. I'm using the zero to 60 because it's a very like stark example, yeah. but I think we I like were this. just really, really, <laughs> really, really <laughs> hands on with, uh, with every detail of everything for all of our artists and really just give that backbone of support uh, and strategy that doesn't really exist in many other places. Well, let's take that back a step and, um, tell me a little bit about A&R at Capitol and what you did there. It's sort of interesting, really interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I you were in the, you there. were in the, the actual building. I was, I worked How out cool of the, is that? the Capitol tower in Hollywood. It's an incredible building. Yeah. Um, and the studios are really incredible. I bet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I did, I did the thing. I think it was a very, the job was different in my mind than it was in reality. Um, but it's, uh, Oh really? What were the differences? You know, what was it in your mind? Well, it was still making records and, you know, signing, signing buzzy artists. And I think I had a, there were artists who I won't name right now, who I was, could have signed for a very little amount of money. And I was told no, because it wasn't, you know, trending or, 
researching and now those deals could be, you know, are getting done for many millions of dollars. So yeah. it's, it's, it was that kind of struggle that was hard for me, uh, in that job, but it was an incredible, uh, you know, I know that system, you know, inside and out now, and it's incredibly helpful for, for what I do in my everyday now. What's like the one, the most helpful thing? I think just knowing the politics and knowing all the players really well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know, I mean, it's true. I, I guess at every major company, I know all these people, but it's, it's more just, I know how to, how, especially particularly the universal system works and yeah. the intricacies of the different departments and how they all work together or don't work together and, and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And how like, uh, and your transition, you were in, you were in East coast, person how about coming out to la how was that (laughs) were you looking forward to that or did you want to no i did not want to move and they said you know it was i moved for the capital job but yeah uh, but i i moved kicking and screaming but here i am in la uh eight years later so uh, oh why'd you move kicking uh, and screaming you're just like ah la no i was just that type of new yorker i mean i'm still still wearing all black and you know uh, my combat boots but it's uh <laughs> it's i i did i was just a diehard new yorker that never expected to move and but to be mm. honest once i once i made the move i just the industry is way more here than it is in new york anymore yeah. and so i was just sort of like oh i should have done this much earlier right right um you're uh you grew up in the city new york no i grew up in upstate actually oh upstate right okay uh-huh. yeah yeah um, so no, it was a big, oh, like that doesn't uh, really, so, but you still coast. didn't want to come out to the California. I, I get the New York city versus LA thing, but anyway, well, I lived in the city for a while, you know, before I moved. So it was, uh, um, no, it's, uh, when, when you're there and you know, the, the scene there was very much happening at the time and, um, it was, it was hard to leave. And then, you know, LA is not so bad. Yeah, no, it's great. I like it. I like it. I still go out there. That's like my favorite place to go, just to chill and hang on. Uh, it's on the beach. The beach is nice. It's nice to go yeah. in the winter. I'm actually planning to get, I'm leaving next week for a little winter break. So see some family nice. and friends and such. Um, so what, um, while you were at Capitol and, you know, you were reflecting on some of what you saw at William Morris. And um, so while you were at Capitol, tell me a little bit about what your thinking was in terms of now where you are sort of in retrospect, having created God mode and, um, you know, your own artist management company. Um, what were the things that were going on at Capitol and what was in your head at the time that sort of pushed you in that direction? Yeah, I mean, so God Mode technically started back when I lived in New York. My partner, Nick, who is one of the like OG guys from Pitchfork, and uh, he had learned to produce uh, under this guy, James Murphy, who's the lead singer of a band called LCD Sound System. Mm-hmm. And we were just kind of like, that was like when Brooklyn was very much the place to be. And uh, we were, we were just throwing parties in Brooklyn. Yeah. And it was called, they were called God mode parties. We had a whole kind of crew of people, you know, um, and we would start, Nick was sort of just learning how to be a producer. So he would produce a record and we would, we would put it out as a reason to have another party. Uh, (laughs) And when we were, when we were younger and much more fun than we are now. And, uh, and so that it kind of existed in that way. And then it was pretty ironic that I moved out to LA I, and the first file on my Capitol laptop was a demo from our very first proper God Mode artist. Um, it was an artist named Shamir, 
and um, we had signed him. We we had put out his first EP. Nick produced it. His voice is very androgynous, um, kind of just really flo- floated above uh, whatever music accompaniment was there. And mm-hmm. uh, it just Nick was like, "Oh, this should be this should be dance music." You literally sound like Sylvester. Uh, and so we put together that EP, uh, signed him to XL Records. And we were like, we did it. You know, this is the coolest label of all time. Like this, this is it. And it was, it was an interesting experience because we, they're, they're a, a classic, you know, uh, you know, I think they're the part of the big beggars is the biggest independent label group. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's still true. Um, and, but we were, but they were v- doing a very specific thing and they were, they were much more interested in like, billboards and we were much more interested in digital advertising uh and that kind of stuff and you know he the artist was recouped in his deal before the record even came out and uh we were just sort of like oh it it kind of became the catalyst for what we are today Mm -hmm. and we were like oh we should just be doing this ourselves so rather than having to like ask a label to spend money in certain ways we're like oh we should just we should just have our own label so that we can decide how we want to spend money. And so we don't have to enter our artists into, you know, seven album deals. Right. But you do and, have to have money to spend money though. So if you're running your own label, where does that financing come from in general? When, when are, you start, when you're starting out. When we own? were starting out, it was, we were boots. It was our own. Yes. <laughs> so it was our, it was my side hustle while I was still at Capitol. Mm-hmm. And um, we put every dollar we had into it and ate, peanut butter and jelly for for a minute and uh yeah. but we're really we're really proudly uh completely self-funded so we uh right to on, this day right on. um you know we we do it all ourselves and don't want to be part of uh you know i don't i we don't want to be part of a major system um, we are for as one-offs for projects but not uh for the label as a whole mm-hmm. and so you were continuing to run that label while you were at capital the beginning stages. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of came to a point where I just was like, okay, I, this is the time in my life. Like I, I don't have kids, you know, I don't, this, this is, this is the time I got to give it a go. And, um, we worked with an artist named Yeji, um, and my partner, Nick produced it, developed it. We put it out, acted as managers, did the same thing with an artist named channel trace, uh, you know, signed him, developed him, uh, Nick produced the music and we put it out and really, uh, you know, using channel as the example, he, he had never put his vocals on a record before. And if you're not familiar with his hmm. music, he has like a really deep, like very white sounding voice. And, okay. uh, and so we just really, oftentimes we say a lot here that oftentimes artists don't know what's the most special thing about themselves. And hmm. so it's our job to really shine a light on that. Right. And so we uh, it, it made sense and we helped hone his his sound and really built out the whole world around him. Um, and that's kind of what we do now. Well, especially because he didn't even know that he had such a great voice. How's that? How did he get that to, <laughs> to you guys without even knowing that? I had met him uh, in a writing session for another artist um, and he just really stood out amongst like the L.A you know, songwriter types. So I was like, mm-hmm. who is that guy? Yeah. And, um, we just sort of stayed in touch, uh, over the years. And, uh, once I quit, I was like, Oh, I should, I should see what, what that guy's up to. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about how you direct your artists into uh, uh, the live music world, festivals, etc., and what sort of role uh, live performance plays for your artists. Um, yeah, I mean, we are, with everything that we do, but particularly with live stuff, we are very, very deliberate with that. And we don't... Uh, I think the world is different than it was 30 years ago. I don't think people play shows just to play shows. I think there are a lot more eyeballs on you now. Mm -hmm. Um, But to use Channel Trace as the example, you know, his music is dance music, kind of like a little bit left of center dance music. And Mm -hmm. I think people, when they encounter him, are expecting to see kind of like a dude behind a laptop making beats. And uh, a lot of the work that we did very early on was like, how do we make this show different and how do we really create intrigue around this and make it so that it has a much broader appeal but also is still very very cool to keep that those fans there and so the idea was that we he had two dancers that were doing west coast style dancing with him mm-hmm. and the people's minds were just blown and uh he also dj's and can do sets like that but his main live show is him and now four dancers uh that he performs with. Um, Why were people's were minds very, blown by two dancers? Just because for music like this, for music that's super cool and uh, kind of lives in that space, it's usually very, everyone's very cool all the time and very serious and oh, okay. uh, it's very highbrow. And this was just a very different sort of thing. kind of added a sort um, of loose element to it. Yeah. And it just, it just like, I think it allowed people to, to, have like allow themselves to have fun and not be not they themselves uh don't have to be super cool uh so it sort of played against that the addition of that level of sort of a fun level sort of played against the genre a little bit exactly and made it more notable and oh okay that's a great that's a great thing right for you totally no it was great (laughs) and then it was it was uh it's but it took a lot it was a lot of work and it was expensive to do up front so Mm -hmm. um paid off but yeah so no, it was great. And I, it's, it's, he just was touring with uh, Thundercat uh, this fall, and it was incredible to watch people react to the show mm. uh, and people who knew, who didn't know him. And you can just watch him creating fans as he, as he went along. Um, but, but we do a lot of stuff, um, you know, in the touring department with, to, for JPEG Mafia, we, um, you know, as I said earlier, he is, has a very intense cult fan base uh who are obsessed with his every move and so basically his tour was supposed to be announced or was announced uh right as delta the delta variant was peaking yeah and i was really 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 apprehensive about it and had been hearing you know through other manager friends of mine like oh their tours aren't selling ticket sales have completely plateaued uh and so i was like really nervous about how that was going to all go down Mm -hmm. and so we came up with the idea basically there's a a reddit forum that all of his most obsessed fans uh you know live and breathe on every day and we had jpeg quote unquote infiltrate yeah no exactly we had we had him uh infiltrate the reddit forum and basically dropped in a link to a pre-sale that only those fans could have access to right on. um 
And so we, we do a lot of work like that, like basically trying to create hype and create buzz in ways that are a little bit non-traditional. Well, that's cool. You're giving the fans something that's cool too. That's kind of like a totally. thank you, sort of like you, well, you want those people at the shows, right? You want his hardcore totally. people at the shows. Um, yeah, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't necessarily follow these artists. I mean, I've heard of these guys. What, um, you know, you, you talked a little bit about developing sort of creating fans and getting exposure. Is that the same sort of the, in more of the, the hip hop world? Is that, um, is it this, is it, um, the similar sort of business tactics or no, not tactics, maybe is the wrong word, but the strategy of you can develop, um, more of a fan base by putting on kind of a kick-ass live show. Yeah. I mean, I think it both, you know, channel and JPEG are pretty different artists, but they, um, they're both of their live shows are very impressive. And JPEG is like, you know, it's, it's kind of like going to see Marilyn Manson in a different form. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very intense and, um, but it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's, I think it's like anything. It's like, you know, same as going to see a, jam band play that you there's a culture around the shows and you know fans are yeah uh you know there there are certain things that to use jpeg as the example like there's certain things that jpeg does at every show and they're like oh is he gonna play this song and is he gonna play this or you know a similar similar things happen at those shows and um all the artists that i work with i'm really tough on them to uh you know they all stay after and sign every fan's you know shirt and uh do that because I think that's really what makes a huge difference. And that's how you build. Those are fans that will be with you forever. Yeah. How do you do um, like in a VIP kind of situation or where, no, where does I he just do have that? Them go to, they, they each go to the merch booth at the end of the night and oh, uh, even JPEG and oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, so, right on. That's nice. Uh, which much to my chagrin right now because it's, that's like COVID central. But yeah. That, uh, I thought that was like, that was, <laughs> that was a no go these days. Not with, not with no, your it's, company, it's, huh? It's, it's if God it's, mode represents think, think you, you get would. to do whatever you want, I guess, huh? No, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know that it's, uh, I think JPEG would be doing that whether I'm here or not, but it's, uh, <laughs> he's gonna he's, do what he wants to do. Yeah, he's very passionate about being there for his fans and making sure that they, that he shows up for them in the way that they show up for him. That's great. So, that's great. I love um, hearing it. It's that. very important to him. Yeah. 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 Um, is that the sort of artist that you like to have with you? Talk to me a little bit about what sort of, if there's sort of a model of artists, kind of what are you looking for and who do you have that fits into those categories? I mean, honestly, the, the only thing that really matters to me is that the artist works really hard. I think the only time... You don't care about I, genre or personality? No. <laughs> I mean, personality, of course, <laughs> they need to be people that I enjoy working with, Um but all artists are artists and have their quirks and yeah. uh, their, you know, uh, their, their shit. But it's, uh, it's, but no, it's honestly the most important thing to me is that they work hard and, um, and that they really want to do the thing. Um, because I've, I've run into trouble, you know, with various artists over the years, God mode and non God mode that uh, if I wanted it more than the artist, it just was never going to work. So Mm. Uh, it's the artists have to really with every fiber of their being want to do it. Cause it's a really hard job. Yeah, and it is. It's uh, it's, you know, it's very all consuming. And if you don't want it or want to do it as more like a fun thing you do, sometimes it's not, I can't be in business with someone like that. 
Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, how do you screen for artists and what does that process and how long does that process take from you sort of getting a heads up that, Oh, you need to go see this person or check out this guy in the studio or go see this show, et cetera. And you start to become interested. I know it kind of varies, but walk me through a little bit what that might look like. Um, I think sometimes it's word of mouth, but usually it's me, you know, cruising Instagram or TikTok and finding people uh, that seem interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, oftentimes the last couple artists that we've signed were people that I just encountered uh, on social media and um, kind of went from there. I think we, we definitely do have scouts and people that, that are constantly sending me stuff. Yeah, but, got a street um, team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, But it tends to be pretty like – you know, I'm usually, usually if somebody's sending it to me, it's, it's, it's like too, uh, I don't know. It's usually not right. So it, it tends to be more organic and I'm finding something through oh, some weird rabbit hole that I went on on Instagram. You mean someone that you don't know cold sending you something? No, or people I know, you know. Oh, so, okay. Uh, wait, hold on one second. Be... So now you're saying that <laughs> ideas are only good if I come up with them. No, no, no. It's not about that. It's just, it's just more like if industry people are sending me it, it's probably already, it may like already, too, it's already there's, played. There's, there's probably some issue with it. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, on the flip side, on the stuff. flip side, yeah. I was, you know, I watched the, the Get Back documentary. You probably saw it, but the whole Alan Klein story about the Stones manager and now he wants to manage the Beatles. And I think like, I don't, I, I don't know too much in depth about it, but that's kind of like on the flip side, right? They were like, Jagger was, Mick Jagger was like, see this guy, Alan Klein, and he ends up to like pretty much breaking up the Beatles at some, at the end of the day. I might right. be mangling the story, but yeah, I, I didn't see it. So you, you well, yeah, it's it's, not, it's the I'm idea about clear. once, and it's not what the whole documentary is about. But like once somebody somebody's telling you about it inside the industry, you know, I mean, you're you're saying that, right? Um, so is that how you discovered? And well, let me ask you before I go in that direction. Um, your roster is fairly small, from what I understood. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like four or five artists at this point, half a dozen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we. One thing, as, as I mentioned earlier, is, you know, we really, when we work with someone, we're really all in. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really, it's a lot of work to, to you know, manage artists. And I think um, it's, it's really important to us that we are, that that's the job that we're doing. I think um, I've worked at uh, companies before where there was a much bigger roster and, uh, you know, there was some 23-year-old actually managing the artists and the the you know the other ones weren't really doing much of the work and i think for me it's a big responsibility to to take on an artist it's someone's life and it's their career and we take that very seriously right and so it's just you and nick um it's we we run we run the company and then we have a few employees as well gotcha gotcha where you guys offices just curious uh we're on the east side in la all right on right on yeah um and, and so what's how does this compare <clears throat> to when you were say at Capitol and you, you were looking after like Katy Perry, Sam Smith, Beck is what I read. Uh, what was that like? Was that just amazing? Or give me a feel for what that's like to, to, to deal with artists on sort of that astronomic level. Yeah, it's, um, it's gotta be a little surreal uh, think, sometimes, right? No, it was fun. I mean, I think Sam Smith particularly, like I was there like 
right during his mediocre, you know, his meteoric rise mm-hmm. to stardom. And I yeah. remember, you know, he played the, uh, what was it? The troubadour, um, that first show, right. As that song was exploding, the disclosure song. And it was really, you were like, Oh my God, this is about to be oh, no kidding. like massive. And, um, and so, yeah, it was, it was really, that one particularly was really fun to, to, to be there for. Um, and, you know, but even people like Beck, who is like, he's an incredible, obviously a legend and, you know, he still will get his masters revised, like not exaggerating, you know, 20 plus times for every song. And so just to, to, to see that kind of thing too, was just wild. And I, I couldn't even hear the differences and he was just tweaking it to the, to the most intense degree. He's so amazing. God, but it's awesome. It's like, like, you know, uh, I just had never worked with someone like that before and probably still haven't, but it's, uh, so, so seeing that kind of thing was really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I had read in, um, in some of the materials that you sort of like to break artists that don't fit into preexisting formats, but mm-hmm. if they don't fit into preexisting formats that, I mean, how do you know that? And what's the definition of that? I'm sort of trying to understand that a little bit. Can you help me? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it used to be spoken about as radio formats. Now it's Spotify playlists and, Uh, you know, there are always, there are always trends of music that's, that are, that's in versus out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, first it, you know, and thinking about the last decade, you know, first it was what, like banjos were super in, then it was EDM. Now it's rap. Yeah. And, um, I think rap is probably peaking right about now. And, um, and so we're always just interested in finding, you know, the biggest artists that we are all, that we all know and love and are fans of were artists that were really different from, they were kind of breaking the mold and that's, what's really interesting to us. And we, you know, um, maybe my life would be easier if I just signed a bunch of stuff that sounded like everything else, but it's, uh, that's, that's sort of not or what, more difficult because you wouldn't uh, make as much money ultimately. Yeah, maybe, maybe, but all right, we're t- taking bigger swings now, but, uh, yeah. But it's, but yeah, that's what's sort of interesting and exciting to us. And, and we want to work on stuff that we love too. So it tends to be just, just music that we personally really love. Yeah. So you're trying to find um, artists that are not in a particular lane that sort of either cross over or create their own lane. And um, how do you, and it, you said, it, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was just going to say it, it, it doesn't, we're not, it's not as if we're intent, we're not necessarily seeking that out. It just tends to work out that way. So. It's, uh, but we're not afraid of that. And we're instead we're, we're really motivated by that. Yeah. If it tends to work out that way and you're not looking for it, it's just kind of like you're looking for it. It, the, it just, you're looking at, you look at things in a certain particular way that sort of ends up the same at the end of the day. No, exactly. Exactly. But kind of in a, in a, in a different way. So you're really focused on more personal attention. I mean, I t- talked to, uh, a, a couple different agencies and, or management companies that are just a little bit smaller. And like, I always like repeat the line mm-hmm. from Jerry Maguire. It's just more personal attention. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, as, as managers, particularly it's, it's, you have to, it's yeah. not a job that can be done without it. And, um, you know, it's, it's not easy all the time. I'm definitely like everyone's therapist slash mom slash, uh, I don't know what you want to say, but it's, but it's also really important. And, you know, you're really the, 
you know, you're kind of like the CEO of their company and you're running it and you're, you know, running all the teams and, and everything. So there's, it's just a, there's a lot to, to, to do. Are you concerned about your model being scalable for, to, to, uh, to accommodate more artists? Um, no, I think I just need to keep our, the employees that, that we have now are exceptional. And I think we just need to have good people. Yeah. In order to grow and, um, sort of what's, what's like the next step for you? Is it, is it, is it going, being in pushing artists or getting artists into different directions or is it adding more artists? How do you sort of foresee that? And what are some of the challenges that you face? Um, I think we are looking to grow, um, just the record label portion. So I think we're, we're interested in signing artists that, will just be record label clients rather than management. And mm-hmm. so we're just trying to find, but at the same time, I'm a control freak. And so it's hard for me to, to, to sign projects that I'm, that, that I'm not also involved with on that level, but there's no way I could manage all those artists either. So, um, so that's, right. that's sort of my personal, uh, personal challenge right now is to, to be able to delegate work with someone in that capacity. I- exactly. And yeah. delegate. So, uh, interesting. Yeah. Well, you talked about being every <clears throat> artist, therapist, et cetera. Um, how, like, describe to me a little bit about that role in trying to um, help young artists and maybe they have some personal issues that they want to share with you. What's kind of, what, what's your, what's your mindset with that? How do you, um, how do you manage that when you also have a business relationship with someone? I mean, artists are, are, they're artists, they're emotional people. They're, they're the very nature of what they do is that they have to make themselves vulnerable and then perform that to the world. Yeah. And so I think it's really, uh, it's a lot to take on mentally and emotionally. And Mm -hmm. so, um, I definitely, in my younger days, uh, got too close to artists, certain artists in certain ways and won't repeat those mistakes, but it's, uh, but I'm very, very close to, to all my artists and, um, you know, they, they're at my house for dinner all the time. And, right. uh, you know, they're, they're people that, uh, you know, I talk to them every day, a bunch of times a day. So it's, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on and we, I'm really, you know, now that the world is back open again, you know, they're touring and they're all over the, you know, they're working most days of the year. And right. so there's just a lot going on and a lot to, uh, to go through, um, as a, as on a human level, even. And you want to make yourself available for that and try to help manage these artists that way as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Is that in a way that's different from a larger company? Um, think? I think it depends, but I think a lot of the larger companies, the actual manager is not the one who has that relationship. Um, or is a little bit more removed from that and just kind of pops in for the, for the highlights. Um, yeah. and look, there's, I think there's, there's that, that is a model that works for, for many, many people too, I think. Um, you know, but I think it's, it's just a different, a different setup. Is there a line between being a friend and a manager? Yes. What is, what I think for me, like? there's a very clear, a clear line. I think other managers, uh, have a very different opinion than I do. Um, Mm -hmm. but I, yes, I am social with my artists, but they, I'm not necessarily telling them about 
my feelings and we're not sort of going there. Um, and I mean, I know other manager friends of mine who are, you know, out partying with their artists and who are traveling with them, you know, constantly. And, uh, and for me, that's just, I'm, I am very boring and do not party anymore in my life. And I'm just, that's just not going to happen. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, I'm very clear uh, when I start working with someone up front, that's, that's just not, uh, that's not the type of relationship I have with my artists. Well, before you had talked about getting a little too close, what did that look like? It just, just bringing them too close into my personal life. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that can, it can mean a lot of different things. And, you know, it's, uh, it's you, and also you, you get, uh, you know, it's, it's close on both ends and you can get heartbroken by, you know, it not working out in one way or another or an artist going through something or, or anything like that. And, um, for me, it's important to have, I'm a very, uh, what's the word? I, I have the personnel. I probably could have been a therapist in another life where I take on other, I'm very good at taking on other people's burdens and their problems. Um, but I think for me, I have to, if I take on too much, then it, it's not, that's not good. Then I'm not a person either. So I have to protect myself. Yeah. Uh, you can't let it well. devolve into a codependent type of relationship. No, exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, well, therapists so it's, are it's, actually it's trying line. not, therapists are trained not to take on those burdens of other people. Just right. To sort I, of I need to get people. that training. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, well, yeah, if you care about people, it's hard not to, right? So totally. you know, if people are working totally. with you and being vulnerable, you sort of know what their problems are. They don't necessarily need to know what, you, what your problems are, right? Right, right. Maybe that's, so uh, it's, that's, uh, the, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of good balance, perhaps. Right, um, right, exactly. How tough was this during uh, during COVID and when there was no live shows and people weren't getting together? Sort of, what were the, the some? How, how did that specifically affect your business? It was really really tough, honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I felt I felt very fortunate to also be a record label during this time. Um, yeah. And uh, but you know, for instance, my business is is really a it's a relationship business and. I had actually hired uh, a new employee to be a day-to-day -day manager across a couple clients and mm -hmm. she had never done the job before. And she was hired like maybe three weeks before COVID and then COVID hits and she's like, Oh my God. I'm like, she's like, yeah, they're, you know, so-and-so is not answering me. I'm like, well, he's not going to answer you. If you text him three times, you kind of, a lot of that stuff is just done by sitting next to that person. And um, just right. kind of being in the same space. And so a lot of that just sort of day to day stuff was very challenging. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but honestly, like I, for my artist channel trace, he, we, we made the very clear decision, strategic decision that we were just going to have him collaborate with as many different artists as possible. But during that time, mm -hmm. because he couldn't be out, in different cities in front of different people. But if we are having him collaborate with different artists, he's at least going to be algorithmically in front of different people. Right. And it, it really, really worked. And, uh, his star really, really rose during COVID. So we're very lucky, uh, for all that. And, um, but no, it was, it was really hard and we, you know, we're still not fully, you know, I had just had my first tours play, but it's, uh, 
we're still kind of holding our breath and I'm already getting emails from my agents about them wanting to cancel the spring Europe tours and, and everything just given, uh, you know, the new variant and all that. So it's, we're still not out of the woods yet, but I, uh, you know, and I, and also I've been hearing lots of, you know, horror stories, very thankfully that my tours that just wrapped didn't have this, but you know, outbreaks on tour and, uh, you know, then a whole tour of however many people are in the crew are grounded in, you know, Tennessee or something. And, you know, that yeah, kind of it's not over. Shit just keeps happening. Another tour I know that was uh, postponed today, missing a couple of different yeah. dates. Is someone in the touring? So this is Matt Allman Family Revival that was in town, and I had Devin Allman on the show, and he, and they're like touring with like twelve different guests. I mean, and mm-hmm. you know, just so many different people, so many different moving parts, and that's just one band. I mean, it's happened everywhere. Um, totally. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about JPEG and um, what the plans are for the spring. If, like, if um, you know, doesn't things sure. don't get shut down? No, I mean, he's supposed to be on tour in, in the UK and in Europe mm-hmm. for starting in March. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a tour, actually. He's picking up on a tour that was canceled midway through in 2020. Um, and, but yeah, so I mean, we'll we'll just kind of see see how it goes and then he's supposed to go to australia and onwards from there but it's uh and he actually is going to also he was supposed to play canada on his fall tour that just finished but the canadian rules were such that they were requiring shows to be at half capacity and seated for the spring no for the fall they only just changed the rules for the fall of of 2021 oh okay Uh uh-huh um, and we're like, if you've ever been to a JPEG show, I don't even know what a JPEG seated show, I, I that seems hilarious to think about, <laughs> mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. given that there are very large mosh pits, uh, at all of his shows. Right. And, uh, so we, we had to unfortunately cancel a bunch of sold out Canada dates that were, we'll hopefully reschedule, yeah. uh, for the spring of next year. How's his, um, what are his biggest international markets? Just out of curiosity. He does, he does very well in Europe in general and the UK. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's a real, I'll be very disappointed if that has to get canceled. Yeah. Is that, was that something that you knew? Has that developed over time and how does that actually happen? A lot of, you know, a lot of the music that I work with tends to be bigger in the UK and Europe for Hmm, whatever reason. I think, you know, we, there's just more, there are more outlets for different, you know, music that's not top 40 type music. Mm-hmm. And I think um, our, our music also tends to do very well in Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, so it just, you know, we also have worked, we not JPEG, but we do work with a lot of dance music that is obviously just has a huge history uh, and just a much bigger imprint in, in Europe and the UK than it does here. Interesting. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said like, how does that happen? Obviously there are streaming services and such, and anyone can listen to any music at any time, um, anywhere, but to get people to come to shows and to get that, to get touring off the ground and be successful there. It's always, um, it's, it's interesting. I think when, uh, when there's so much traction in other, um, in, in various countries, it's always, it's always intrigued me. No, it's, I mean, it's sometimes we do it deliberately, like with channel trace, we did not spend a dollar in the U S until probably 2020 or maybe at the oh, end and of how long has he been with you probably since 2018 interesting and we only spent money in australia and in the uk oh why did and, you start doing that uh, why did you do that initially what was the well australia has an incredible uh 
station called Triple J, which is uh, a really big, uh, I, I think it's independent. I'm not sure who owns it, but um, basically like they play all different kinds of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and they added his song. We, we serviced it and worked it to them. And they added his song, his first single very early. And he was selling out, you know, 600 cap rooms there three months later. And wow. so we, we just really put everything in, in that territory. Um, and he's since played Splendor in the Grass, which is like their Coachella and, um, you know, have, have had really impactful, uh, trips over there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, we did that on purpose cause we knew it would trickle down here. Um, yeah, yeah. and it, and it did. Um, <clears throat> so you, so, uh, because of the, getting airplay there, it was, you said it was a radio station. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a, a like big radio actual station ra- called Triple J. Actual radio. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> um, and then, so you knew that there that he was getting listens. How does that kind of, how does that play out? You sort of understand from the, the, the station or then like social media posts or Twitter. Or how did you get, because I was going to ask about like, oh, you're looking at the back end of Spotify and seeing he's getting a lot of plays in Australia. Did that sort of consequently start to happen? It, de- it definitely started to happen. I mean, we have, we have teams in every territory that we work with, right. um, different teams, depending on the, the type of music and the, te- the project. Mm-hmm. But, um, we, we have contacts at that radio station and, and then hired a, a proper team there who are wonderful based out of Sydney yeah. uh, called positive feedback. And they then worked the single properly, did all the promo and, and all that. That they created promo for him. Yeah, they, they, we, when we scheduled like a tour, they would, you know, schedule a big promo for him and even when he was here. Right. But to give you the uh, impetus to it. throw money at it, you wanted to know that there was some level of popularity there. Is that what this this company does is kind of give you a sort of feel and understand like how popular a particular artists would be and how successful a tour might be? Um, I think we we had a contact and we knew the the folks at at the radio station and mm-hmm. we knew how often it was getting played via them. Mm-hmm. And so when something's getting played on that particular station, right for that amount, it's very impactful. And then we were like, okay, we better hire. Let's spend the money to hire this company yeah. to make it even bigger, basically. And then, so talk to me a little bit about that sort of trickle up theory, where if you're 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 sending artists to Australia before you bring them to and tour them predominantly in the States or, or spend money on them touring in the States. Um, did that create excitement uh, from United States fans or American fans or North American fans? It definitely did. And it helped his numbers, um, you know, just kind of grow everywhere. And mm-hmm. um, Interesting. You know, the, it's, it really boosted it. And it also just kind of gave him his sea legs too. And I think people don't talk about that enough. Uh, just the number of, you know, just kind of getting used to what this looks like. And was that important um, for him to for, do in Australia versus doing in America, for example? No, it's just a little bit more off the radar. Yeah, so yeah. when you play a show in LA and you know, the entire industry is out and if it sucks, then you're, you're that's kind of it. Yeah. And, right. Interesting. Uh, and so it's, it kind of gives you some time to, to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, also the fans were crazy enthusiastic there. So it was good, a good place to start. Yeah. So the, and that, that sort of trickles up through social media and then others start just fans and music fans in general, it just sort of a buzz develops amongst those, um, that base and then kind of starts discovering exactly. the artists. Is that how it sort of works? I exactly. guess in this instance, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, and what was that sort of what? How did what did that rise look like for JPEG, whom I don't really, I, I, I don't know. I should know. He's a huge name, but I don't really know what that rise looked like. Can you encapsulate that a little bit? I think it's well, really he, interesting how that around, kind of comes about. Yeah, he he's a little bit older. He's mm-hmm. older, but I mean, he's thirty one. I think. Yeah, well, he's ancient. Um, yeah, exactly. But he um, <laughs> he he had been making music under a few different names for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, he is actually a, a a veteran as well, so he kind of got a later start after he uh, got out of the military oh, and okay. um, and then had been making music. And honestly, for him, it was really a, a an older, you know, not a not a tale of the, the digital world. His shows are just really incredible. Yeah, and he just really started building a base from playing shows and, and it really grew organically from that. And, um, yeah, I want to say I saw him do some performance on T was it, was it on like national TV? Was he, what am I thinking about? Um, I don't know that he's done one of the late shows yet. Yeah. Um, I don't think so, but he, but he, he's definitely, you know, he's played all the major festivals and, and yeah, all I that. Maybe but, I saw like a um, festival set or a couple of songs. I was blown away. I thought it was amazing. No, he's, he's amazing. I was like, and what even, the you know, fuck? It was sort of. Totally. I mean, he, he like, you know, obviously I, I know him very well. And then I, he gets on stage and I'm sort of like, oh my God, holy shit. Like, who is <laughs> Maybe this I don't know you almost. as well as I thought you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, who is this person that has over, overtaken your body? And, uh, wow. And that but gives yeah, me the goosebumps. Shows, even, yeah. I think that's fucking amazing. No, it really, it, it's really amazing. And he, he just played a couple shows here in LA, mm-hmm. uh, last two weekends ago. And, um, and it's really just, you know, it's, it's really incredible. And I think he, the fans are absolutely crazy for him. You know, you always, the joke, the joke in the industry is always that like the New York and LA shows are always the worst because people always stand there with their arms crossed because they're too cool, you know? And, uh, (laughs) and uh, yeah, it's terrible. It's, and so that's always like, you know, people, artists always say they have the best shows and, you know, Minneapolis or in other places that where people aren't afraid to let themselves go a little bit more. And, uh, but JPEG shows were like, you know, I just haven't seen a crowd like that in LA. Where where was it's, it? It's really he played two shows at uh the Belasco, which is a theater in downtown yep. LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, cool. So yeah, it was I love it that. was pretty... I love that. <laughs> so doing doing lots of very not COVID safe things like, you know, crowd surfing, spitting in people's mouths, you know, all that mm, kind of stuff, which just mm, gives me wonderful. gives me anxiety. So, yeah, it does. Yes. It gives me anxiety like in a non pandemic world. <laughs> Right, totally, totally. Yeah, just like can so. you just maybe like don't spit in my mouth, you know, just like yeah, the bodily exactly. fluid thing. I can, you know. Well, shit, he said shit. before his first his his first show back uh, since shows started playing in yeah. post COVID was at Lollapalooza, and it was an enormous crowd, like a really enormous crowd. And he said to me, "I like, think my daughter was in like, the crowd." <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> he yeah. said to me, "He's like." I can't wait to spit in someone's mouth. As soon as I get on stage, I'm going to do it. And I was like, Peggy, please don't do that. That just seems like a lawsuit waiting to happen. Yeah, really? And then of course, immediately he goes on stage, jumps in the crowd and is, is doing it. But, uh, you know, oh, man. it's, uh, the kid, the kids love it. So I don't know. Peggy. That's what, that's what his fans call him. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Yeah. But. Um, you made a point in what you sent over to me and talk about sustainable operations for your artists. You use those words and I keep looking at those words and I'm like, what exactly does that mean for you? 
Well, I don't know what 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 did I what context did I say that <laughs> sustainable <laughs> operations? Like a nice yeah, it really was. It was wonderful. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm sort of like looking uh, into the future for you and how you're building the stable of artists and kind of understanding a little bit organically about what your artists mm -hmm. look like and what they um, and how they're being nurtured. Let's say because that's a great word sure. in management, right? Uh, um, and what that looks like. And it does, you know, and, uh, you know, I read that you're sort of focusing on building sustainable operations for your artists. So I was wondering like, oh, oh. what is that? What, <laughs> I mean, what's a non-sustainability um, non is like getting out there and doing a sudden amazing fucking show that you can never do again. Or <laughs> what's, no, what is, I think like, honestly, yeah, I think honestly, a lot of, at least in LA, I think it, maybe it's different in, in the UK or in other yeah. places, but, um, you know, I'm interested in working with artists, uh, who are, in, who want to be in it for the long haul. I'm not mm -hmm. trying to go for the quick buck and, um, and, you know, artists that are looking for that. That's just kind of not the business that I'm in. And yeah. I really, you know, as, as I said earlier, like I'm the CEO of their, of their companies and their businesses. And it's, I really take that on as a, a, a real responsibility. And how do I, you know, make sure that their business is sustainable and that they're not, uh, you know, that, th that their money is being spent properly and that it's, it's really, you know, we're looking at it for the next five years, 10 years, rather than just, okay, this is going to do well tomorrow. And you know, from having been at other other talent agencies that they're just, they they'll say that and they're just fucking blowing smoke. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I understand like you don't, nobody knows most artists don't last for that long. And most artists, uh, you know, have a moment and then that's kind of it. But I think, uh, so I understand the, the impetus behind it, but I, uh, for me, that's not, if it, if it was about the quick buck, I would have worked in something that's not music that, uh, you know, I would have, so I would saying, have been a banker or something else. So it's kind of a way of saying, Hey, look, uh, we want to help you create a long-term career. So you're, you, it, it, I know you want to do this massive fucking thing, but you've got right. to kind of take these steps, which will help you build to that. And then you can continue to use those steps to go in other directions. Yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff or just like, okay, let's, let's spend our money properly. Like maybe it doesn't make sense to spend 50 grand on a lighting rig on this tour. Let's maybe spend that money here or let's invest in something else or um, just really being smart about how money is spent and yeah. uh, you know, and then also your team and who who's, you know, who you're paying and all that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. Do you get to kind of, do you ever have problems with artists teams and, somebody that's gone kind of in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. How do you manage that? It's, it's less, it's less that it's more just, you know, the way, the way that we talk about it is every person on the team, whether it's an agent or a lawyer or, uh, you know, whoever it is, is those, those people represent that artist to the industry. And so you need to make sure that they are messaging. You need to, you need to manage, you need to manage them as well. Right. 
Yeah, that's that's honestly a, a maybe without them knowing it or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally, totally. And we we you know that's a over communicate huh? to those people. Yeah, yeah I mean it's yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's my my team. You know, probably want to kill me because I make them send weekly emails with updates on what's going on mm-hmm. to to the whole team and right. uh, you know just making sure that we're over communicating and so that people can use when, if they are saying, oh, how am I going to book jpeg for this festival then they're at least using the words that we want to use and saying it properly and know the context in which everything's happening so that they are armed to do their jobs better right right but but no there are definitely problems and you know it could be it could be anything so uh yeah Yeah. it's uh it's not easy yeah and and uh and you're keeping it lean right now so you know at least there's not you know (laughs) A million problems, just kind of like nine hundred thousand of them. <laughs> no, I mean it's 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 honestly okay. It's it's you know we tend to work with people that uh, that I've known for many years at this point, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it's you kind of know how people work or the style of certain companies or or all of that. So most of the time, you know you know what you're getting yourself into. Right, right. Well, if I were an artist, Tali, I'd want you to manage me. So, <laughs> thank <laughs> sounds, you so much. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like in super. Your next life. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you never know. Um, in uh, um, you sound like you're super level-headed, obviously super intelligent and smart, and go about this in a thank in a you. really in a in a really rational and um, and level-headed way. And um, you know, I think you'd be a really great person to work with. Thank you. No, it's it's very funny because my I come from a family of my dad uh, works in retail clothing, and mm. he's always he's always asking me. He's like, "Well, how do you do this with these crazy artists? Like, aren't they? How how do you do it?" I'm like, "I don't know. It's just this is this is all I this is all I know how to do." So maybe it would be easier if I was, you know, if shirt if I was dealing with shirts and and all that. But it's uh, this is all I this is all the only way my brain can operate. Yeah, I mean, does <clears throat> you know, it sort of begs the question like you're kind of a people wrangler, right? Is that is that yeah. what what sort of prepared you to do that? Anything in your in your life or just kind of like your personality and then your interests that marry in the I two think, yeah. the marriage of the two? I think it's my personality for sure and lots of therapy. So. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> just in order but to yes. learn learn more about yourself so that you can help guide other people. How did that help you? No, I, I'm, I'm, I was being facetious, but it's, uh, but yeah, just, just more that, you know, uh, taking on other people's shit a lot and, you know, just learning how to manage that properly. Right. Not taking it on too much. Exactly. I still learning learning about that. Yeah. I sense a theme here that you're very, you're, you're a mother hen type that likes to take on other people's problems a little bit. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, you're probably not like just, uh, you know. Maybe maybe you're passing out sandwiches to homeless people also, but um, which is a great thing. But um, you know, if you do help your artists with some problems, that's only going to maybe alleviate those problems for them or help them manage that, so they can do what they what they do best and and be better artists. Yeah, and and be be more be be able to perform in in all the ways that they need to. Yeah. Is there a chief, have you, have you encountered like commonalities of problems with artists that you've looked at? Is there something that's like, oh yeah, this thing. Yeah. That's what happens. Um, 
I would just say that the running joke in my offices or in the business is like, it's, I, I'm usually the only woman in what I do. There are more and more now, but uh, the joke is always that I'm around a lot of extremely emotional men all the time. And I'm the one who's the hard ass who uh, is, is much more even. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's just a lot of emotions all the time. Uh, it could be about anything. So it could be about showing up or it could be about girlfriend problems or uh, anything, but uh, lots of, lots of emotions uh, about everything in life. And you're better at managing those is what people are saying that you're the woman that can manage problems better than these. Or I'm just, I'm cry just baby, uh, guy, cry baby dudes. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm the least emotional one of the group. So. It's, huh. Uh, okay. Do you have, is that, that, is that something that you, that you, that you do on purpose or is that just how you are? No, it's just, it's just how I am. Mm-hmm. So not that I, not that I can't be emotional, but it's, uh, and not that I don't, you know, feel certain ways when things are happening, but yeah. I, uh, I, I don't know. I'm a pretty, pretty, takes a lot to rattle me. So, um, are you pretty empathetic? Yes. Yes. Probably Pardon? too much. So oh, I didn't hear you from the, from the wife, my, the Wi-Fi thing. Um, oh, oh I said, I said, yes, yes, probably too much. So, right, right. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what empaths say is that it's like too much, but it gives you insight into other people and that if you're understanding other others' problems and that you're not just sort of just a bull in a china shop, just like fuck everybody right. and you gotta like everyone's right. got their own shit, especially in this industry, right? You've got in totally. you know, everyone's gotta recognize that. You can't just ignore that there are that people are gonna have issues, especially creatives, right? Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, the best of luck to you, Talia. I think this is, um, Thank you. It, it sounds so great and you're so cool and I uh, love your background and, um, everything that you've done. And these are amazing artists and hopefully I'll be able to catch up with JPEG in the, <laughs> in the spring. <laughs> oh, but th- that's, yeah, that's in exactly. Europe. That's in Europe. And, and he was just yeah, in yeah, Chicago we'll at, at Lala. He, yeah. He and, was just there the fall, the yeah, fall, the Next fall, fall or different sort of, is he doing the, um, the summer festival thing again in the States? Uh, not in Chicago, but, uh, elsewhere in places I probably can't, I'm not supposed to be saying. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. No problem. Yes. Cool. Well, good luck with everything, Talia. Um, awesome. You too. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. You're welcome. Take care. Okay. You too. Okay. That was Talia Alitzer, uh, co-founder of God Mode. Uh, so happy that she was here. Uh, you know, I talked to a lot of independent artists who really kind of do it on their own, uh, DIY operations and, uh, creating their own touring schedule and their own merch and everything. And, uh, it's just interesting to have also have someone on the management side, uh, hearing them talk about how they bring up artists, sort of the challenges that they face and uh, where they've come from and uh, to explore this angle of the music industry and live music industry is really compelling um, and can't beat a story of starting out in the William Morris mailroom. Like she said, there are so many people that did start out in the mailroom. That's kind of where you start out there, apparently. But um, 
But uh, just to, to talk about that and what that was like, and also working at Capitol Records, uh, covering so many amazing artists, uh, is just an in- incredible achievement. And now at God Mode, where she is kind of, uh, you know, she, she's got that very nurturing uh, vibe to her and uh, um, uh, sort of that mother hen sort of management person, therapist, friend, helper. Uh, that was just a really interesting angle to 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 explore with her, how she takes care of her artists and really looks at them like family. And I think that's really really, uh, really interesting. And, uh, well, she did say she gets a little too close to the artist at some point. Um, but, uh, Hey, you know, it's, it's a very emotional business. Like she said, you're dealing with people that are artists and they're also in turn, very emotional. And that kind of intertwining, uh, can sometimes lead to complicated relationships, but that's not really the main point. The main point is that she's running this management company. She's got some incredible artists, Channel Trace and JPEG Mafia, among others, and has an incredible uh, amount of experience uh, to draw upon as she moves forward in this industry. I wish her really uh, continued amount of amazing success. And uh, listen, I've never seen JPEG Mafia, uh, and it's not really necessarily in my lane, but I want to see this, uh, this artist next time I have a chance. And um, I'm going to jump at the chance to do that. Uh, can't wait for that. Sounds like an amazing show. Uh, thanks again to everyone for listening. Uh, really happy to have you here going into this new season three. Uh, please subscribe on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook to stay up with the latest guests that we have and subscribe to Roadcase on your favorite listening platform. Thanks again for being here. And I want to thank Talia Alitzer. A uh, very special thank you to her for being here, uh, telling us her story and letting us learn a little bit more about her. Uh, really to happy to have her on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road.